The Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not who you speak, it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all 
because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace is yours from our risen Christ. Amen. When I was in seminary, I was asked to serve on a search committee for a new professor of pastoral care. We spent weeks poring over the applications and the resumes of the different applicants, trying to look for just the right person who would train pastors to take care of the flock. And after several interviews, we had the candidates narrowed down to two. One was a person with an impeccable record, the highest academic standards, and years of teaching at a very prestigious school. The other was a Lutheran pastor who taught part-time at a seminary that wasn't Lutheran. The committee was leaning toward the pastor, but we had this nagging feeling that his resume just didn't measure up. It, It really wasn't all that good. The committee wanted to call the pastor, but we just felt like we would, if we did, then we would be denying having the best and the brightest to teach us how to be pastors. And then someone on the committee said, maybe we shouldn't focus so much on what they have done in the past, but rather focus more on what they can do in the future. Trust in someone is usually a whole lot more valuable than their past credentials. That was certainly some very wise and timely counsel. And I think a little bit of that is what's happening here with Jesus. Certainly, he did not have a bunch of guys around him that had stellar credentials. They didn't have a long list of of accomplishments. They were ordinary folk. Folk who just lived an ordinary, everyday life. But what's so amazing is that Jesus chose these folks to be involved in something that was vitally important. To share the good news about the kingdom of God. But what does that look like? Here is one way to think about it. In her blog this week, Debbie Thomas writes about the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan William, and his book called Tokens of Trust in which he tells the story of a young Jewish woman named Etty Halisam, who was in her 20s when the Germans occupied Holland. She was not a very religious person, but as she watched her nation and her life 
descend into a nightmare. She said that she had a very clear sense of the hand of God on her life. She was imprisoned at the transit camp of Westerbork before then being sent to the gas chamber in Auschwitz. But while she was in, the, in Westerbork, she wrote these words. There must be someone to live through it all and bear witness to the fact that God lived even in these times. And why should I not be that witness? Williams goes on to describe her commitment this way. She decided to occupy a certain place in the world, a place where others could somehow connect with God through her. She took responsibility for making God credible in the world. She took responsibility for God's believability. Does it ever cross our mind that we as the people of God are called to do exactly that same thing? That we are called to make God believable? And not just when it's easy, but when it's hard to even believe in a God who loves and cares for the world. We read this gospel story about Jesus having compassion for the people because they were harassed and, and confused and scared, aimlessly wandering through life like sheep without a shepherd. It says he, he had compassion for them. He was deeply moved by their situation. And certainly there were plenty of people who had great need, but the fact is that there didn't seem to be very many people able or willing to help them. And so he commissions his disciples. Go, he said. Go into the neighborhoods and tell them God's kingdom is here. Go and touch. Go and heal. Go and offer new life. Go and make peace. In other words, Go and make God believable. Now, if you're like me, when you read that, you, you think, and I sure am glad I wasn't in that group of those disciples that day. But it should go without saying that the same commission that was given to those disciples is our commission. Only we, we need to say it over and over again because we don't like being reminded of that. It's a big job. It's a scary job. And we're not qualified. But you know what? Jesus isn't looking at our credentials. Any more than he looked at the credentials of those first disciples. 
but he is trusting us to do the same job they did in their day. Go, he says. Being part of a church, being part of God's family, certainly involves a whole lot more than just seeking our own comfort. Now, to be sure, the gospel is meant to comfort us and bring us peace when we are the ones who are harassed and confused and and wandering aimlessly like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. We can be sure of that. And we have his promise of new and abundant life. But it does not stop there. Being part of the church means being involved in what God is doing in the world now. And sadly, what God is doing in the world now, the world really doesn't usually like to hear. And it's very possible that that's exactly what Matthew is telling his readers in today's passage. The community to which Matthew wrote was in trouble as they lived as followers of Jesus, as they lived Jesus' radical life. And I use the term radical on purpose because the meaning of that word is root or base or foundation. Jesus' life, Jesus' radical life, was to show us that the root, the foundation, the basis of God's relationship with the world is love. God loves this world. And God wants us to love it too. Jesus' life was so radical that he was willing to die at the hands of power and empire to prove how deeply devoted God is to us, to all of us. We hear Paul write today, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not just people who have the right credentials, but for the ungodly, for sinners, for all of us. Now that is radical in the other sense of the word, meaning drastic, extreme. Jesus' love is extreme. And those early Christians lived in the midst of a society that was committed to empire, power. An empire that subjugated women and promoted slavery and demanded allegiance to an emperor. Peace was kept at the point of a a sword and the blade of a spear. So when the Christians began to live out Jesus' radical life of love, where they included everyone, 
where they shared all that they had with anyone who needed it, when they were committed to living a life with their risen Savior, it was seen as opposing the empire. It was too radical. And the empire felt threatened. It became risky, even dangerous, to be a follower of Jesus. It's pretty clear that living a life of Jesus' radical love, of making Jesus believable in this world, is going to make a lot of people nervous and it's going to make some people mad. Matthew's readers understood that. They were living in the midst of it. Many of them had already been disowned by their family. They had lost jobs and social status. You could easily be turned into the empire and the authorities by friends and co-workers. Heck, you could go and be fed to the lions for being a Christian. Things were tough. And that meant that people had to make some really hard choices about following Jesus. And the truth is, so do we. Being committed to Jesus means that that we have choices to make that pose a challenge to us. Oh, not like being thrown to the lions. But choices about whether or not we want to try and live Christ's radical life of love. That's why Jesus warns. Don't be naive. Don't be foolish. Because when you get this right, you're going to seem out of step to a lot of people. Living life that seeks to meet people's needs of love and acceptance and hope and faith, that's going to feel too extreme to a world that is dominated by power, that is trying to decide who is on top and whose definition of right is going to win out. We're living in a time that, that tears us in so many different directions. Left, right, liberal, conservative. And depending on which way we turn, we know that the other side is going to start screaming at us and trying to discredit us and throw us to the lions of, of intimidation and fear. But Jesus says, don't think this is easy. It's tough. This is a hard gospel. It challenges us. But isn't that why this is precisely the time when we need to be the witnesses that God is alive and working in this world? Isn't this exactly the time when in Rowan Williams' words, we occupy a certain place in the world where others can somehow connect with God through us. The truth is, 
God has always used ordinary people to be the laborers in the vineyard, the witnesses of God's reign. We heard this morning in Exodus how God declares that God's people will serve as the priests for the nations. Folks, that's the way God has chosen to do it for a really, really long time. So this is our time. This is our opportunity to make the gospel believable. Even when we don't think we're qualified. Friends, I've got some news for you. We're just as qualified as those first disciples. We're just as qualified as as Eddie Halisam. We're just as qualified as anybody who ever did this stuff. The fact is, part of the miracle of God's grace is that he uses ordinary people Because it's ordinary people who are precisely the ones who understand how wonderful God's grace is for us. God sees more potential in us than we see in ourselves. And God knows that we are the ones who are best suited to do this work. Because we can share the wonder of what God has done for us. Today, Jesus summons us to follow his lead in our circles of life. Whether it's in our neighborhood or community or beyond, he says, you receive without payment. So give without payment. In other words, you have been treated generously, so love generously. Be generous with your life. And as we bring peace to others, we help make God more believable. We help others connect to God through us. So don't despair. We don't go it alone. Jesus tells us, We have the power of the Spirit who will give us the words we need and the courage we lack. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, giving us the courage to say yes to Jesus, to witness that God is alive even in these troubled times. So ask yourself, why shouldn't that witness be me? Grace, mercy, and peace is yours from our risen Christ. Amen.